All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Grabs Podcast. If you're listening to this, you probably already know what we do here. But in case you stumbled in here, this is your first one you're hearing. Our goal here is to highlight our wins and learn as much as we can from actual fire ground rescues in the hopes of making us all a little bit more effective and efficient. Our guest tonight is Battalion Chief Scott Blanchard from the city of Venice in Florida. And we can't wait to learn from his experience. How are you doing tonight, Chief? How are you guys doing? Doing awesome, man. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your journey, your experience, and your department? Uh, my journey, um, let's see, I didn't know what I wanted to do when I graduated high school. Um, kind of got out there in the field, and then um, I was talking to a buddy of mine who was rolling up some hose. He was volunteering at a, uh, a department, and he goes, hey, man, you just ought to check it out. And he just recently got hired there uh, after that, and... Uh, I said, you know what, what the heck? So I tried it out and immediately fell in love with it, started volunteering, um, was hopefully going to go to fire school and then blew up my ankle. So I did that. So then I went to EMT school while I was healing up. And then um, from there, I went to fire school. Uh, two weeks before I graduated fire school, uh, the department picked me up because I've been volunteering there. So, you know, before he was even state certified as a firefighter and like, it was kind of a blessing and a curse because I had to like all I had a job and I had all the pressure of state and trying to keep my job at the same time. <laughs> so, uh, been up this way. I was spent two and a half, two years down there volunteering, two years paid, came up this way to Venice. Um, been here for over 19 years. So I'm working on my 20, uh, be February with 20 years from you here. So, um, Love the job, still in love with it. Um, you know, making more as many conferences as I can or try to, trying to encourage you guys here, that type of stuff. And um, it's just the, it's the best job in the world. You know, it really is. So. Well said. Can you tell us a little bit about the, the city of Venice and your department? Um, yeah, city of Venice. Um, it's been here since 1926. Um, when I first started here, um, they were just running BLS. Uh, right now, we're we're taking over ALS uh, from the county services, so we're going to have uh, rescues in all of our stations, and um, so that's kind of exciting and scary at the same time. It's a big undertaking for getting everything up and running and uh, getting medics hired and, and and trying to get you know trying to get quality people in uh, in the positions. Um, and then the great thing is is um, you know the county's got different protocols and, and ROGs and stuff. You know, recommended operating guidelines for suggestion, you know, ROGs, ROGs, SOGs, whatever. Um, that being said, it'll be nice to be able to train people to where you know uh, what their capabilities are when they arrive on scene by, you know, like visual contact. It's like, okay, I know this guy's strong in this, or, you know, he's the guy I want to send on this, whatever, you know, type of call, and kind of be able to take the chess pieces and put them in the, in, in the best um, situation, so to speak. So, um, you know, just picking the key players and plugging them into the right spots. So that's going to be kind of nice, you know, so. I appreciate a battalion chief who, who is interested in what the, everyone's strengths and weaknesses are and, and making sure the right guys are in the right position. I like that. I study a lot of tactics and like uh, lately I haven't had a chance to read, but I got to get back into it. So I, I like doing that to where, you know, people say, well, how did you know to do that? And it's like just from studying tactics and just plugging in all the information that I've learned from like, uh, 
Chief Mike Turpak and Kurt Isaacson and, and you know some of the bigger guys, you know, uh, uh, Ray McCormick, you know, Mike Lombardo, those guys, you know, even though they're just, you know, they're they're on the front lines and like me, I need to stay connected with that because if I can't, if I don't know their job, how am I going to tell you know other guys to do their job when I don't even know their job type of thing? So the guys know me that like usually when it it's it's a judgment call. You know, I'm trying to make it like for the best outcome type of thing. So, and then learn from your mistakes and, you know, don't be afraid to, to own it. You know, that's one of the things like Chief called me earlier. He's like, hey, you say something about this? And I'm like, that was my bad. I told the guys they could go do that. And I said, and he's like, okay. I'm like, yeah, I'll fall on that sword. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, I told them they could go over there and do this and blah, blah, blah. He's like, okay, wait, I don't want them doing that. I'm like, all right, no, no problem. I told them they could. And I was like, I'll take the heat for that one. There you go. That's good chiefing right there. I tried to. I ain't perfect. Yeah. What does your first alarm consist of for a single-family dwelling fire? So how many units and how many uh, members you got going? Um, well, right now it's changing every day because we're growing. We're going from 33 people uh, total. Actually, not 33. Uh, we're going from 39 on-shift personnel to where I'll have uh, 21 on my shift on a full shift. 20 to 21, actually, yeah, 21 people on a full shift with nobody off. So that's kind of crazy. So, um, it's okay. <laughs> hey, uh, let me get back with you. Is there something pressing? Is there something pressing? Okay, cool. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs> I think they're just messing with me. Firehouse. <laughs> 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 doing right now, those guys are messing with them, it sounds like. Oh, they're, like it. they're on the other side of the door. I don't know if I need to lock it or what, you know, if it's safe. Um, <laughs> so, so does everybody go on your single families right now? Uh, for us right now, it's a full response. Um, three engines, one truck, uh, one rescue, uh, two battalions, even though we have a battalion coming from outside of our zone. And then um, possibly a tanker, depending on where it is in the city, and depending on like if we have water main out or something like that. So um, commercial now, uh, I believe we get one more. We get one more county engine or Tacoma's engine, whichever is closer to the district. So we'll get our three engines plus one plus a truck, and then two battalions. And then how do you, uh, how do you stack your engines and your and your trucks? Oh man, just like they uh, Jesus or uh, not Jesus, but. Uh, just like um, uh, Noah put them on the ark right now, two by two. Yeah. There you go. So with, with, the, with the medic staffing, though, because we're going ALS with our engines, I'm hoping with the staffing that we'll be able to maintain three on engine, which will be great for us. So um, um, I'm hoping we'll get there. So, and then, I mean, it's going to be very dynamic in the next couple of uh, months here where our staffing is going to be. So my, my push is to try to maintain three people on the engine. I'd like to see three people on the truck. And whenever I can, I actually put the extra guy on the truck because granted the truck doesn't turn too many wheels, but when it does, it's, it's something big. So, but they do give me the leeway if it's going out of town, we'll abandon the engine wherever the truck, what station the truck's at. And I'll backfill uh, the engine that they abandoned and throw five to six guys on the truck if it's going mutual aid somewhere for something big. Okay. So my chief's giving me the leeway to do that, which is, is kind of nice. 
because it's you know it's a safety thing you know it's a big and I try to do what's safest for the guys and the you know the citizens so it's it's a it's a it's, a, it's, it's hard you know what I mean yeah you gotta some feathers sometimes but it's it's just the job you also mentioned rescue what does rescue mean for you guys down there in Venice uh big fancy word for ambulance okay I just wasn't sure if that was a heavy rescue or, or a box. So, yep, perfect. I just know that sometimes, you know, I'm up here. It wasn't heavy. <laughs> sometimes our vernacular isn't always the same. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, district to district. <laughs> Let me just mute all the phones. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and this one's a little bit nebulous. But what's the search culture like within your department? What I mean by that is who typically searches and how do you prioritize search? What am I just um, Typically, um, depending on the uh, engine company, um, right now it's going to be changing. I mean, we're going to be like leaning on the rescues when they come on board. But um, for right now, it's um, typically depending on what's who gets there on scene, really. So if we have a fire, I mean, the first engine company is going to do, um, you know, fire attack, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, depending on the fire, I have the leeway to either, you know, establish water supply or just send the uh, second unit in and start searching if the truck's not there yet type of thing. So I try to get primarily second, second due to third due prioritizing that. So, nice. Yeah. Here we go. And the shenanigans begin. <laughs> that just means they love you, Chief. Oh, gosh. Do I need to shove a towel underneath the door? Probably. Is it safe? <laughs> Probably not. Sounds like you got some good guys there. Oh, yeah. They're currently loaded with firecrackers today. So. <laughs> That's what it sounded like. <laughs> uh, um, so. so if you said that you have the ability to kick water supply down, down a little bit, so how much water are you guys carrying on your engines and is your truck a true truck with no water or is it a quince? Uh, truck has got about 300 gallons of water. Um, we, they've upgraded our engines. Uh, we went from 750 or 7, 7, 730 and change up to about 900, 950 gallons of water um, to where we don't really need. Uh, the truck's got 300. So the trucks, I mean, it's limited. It's better than nothing type of thing. Um, but the truck does have its own pump and, you know, we could pump through the pipe. So that gives us uh, um, some pretty leeway. It's an aerial platform. It's a Pierce tandem axle. Um, I believe that's 08, 08 or 06. Okay. Um, so it's due for replacement not this year, but next year. So hopefully, Lord willing, um, hopefully, Lord willing, uh, we're looking at the new uh, mid-mount from Pierce, 100-foot tandem axle. So that'll be great. And we're, we're trying to get some mini maxis on there for, like, rope rescue type of stuff. And where the guys are actually, like, um, we're going to have, like, designated drivers. That's that's my goal anyways. i got a few goals, you know. Throwing us stuff at the wall, eventually something will stick type of thing. You know, you just got to keep trying. When you get a no, you just ask for something else. You know, sooner or later they wear down a little bit, you know. It's like pushing over a pop uh, pop machine, man. You gotta you gotta rock that thing a couple times first. Yeah, it was a, it was a no before I asked. So I mean, if you ask and it's still a no, and you know, nothing's changed. There's a hundred shots you never take, right? That's it. That's it. So 
Uh, Chief, can you tell us a little bit about the rescue that you made? Uh, do you know what the date was, what time of day it was, uh, what it come in as, and were there reports of any victims, and then kind of what happened once you got on scene? Yeah, actually it was um, June 5th, 2005. Um, when they arrived on scene, they had a 81-year-old uh, and a nine-month-old uh, in the building. Um, it was approximately 22, 24 hours. So, what is that, 10, 10 24 at night? Yep. Um, it's a single-family residential, had a converted garage. Um, I think it made it into three bedrooms, or two bedrooms originally. And um, backstory on that, like there was some kind of civil dispute or something like that. And the boyfriend actually lit it off in between the uh, converted garage. Um, so in the garage, I guess they put a wall up between where the washing machine was and there was a side door. So he lit it essentially in the laundry room there. And there was a, uh, the garage was turned into a bedroom where the uh, nine month old was. So um, when we got on scene, uh, they had heavy fire and smoke pushing out from the uh, Alpha and I believe Delta sides. So pretty much the right side of the house. Um, first, in, first in engine company went in uh, for initial fire attack um, through the front door and pushed in. And then at that time I arrived on scene, I was, uh, I was third due. Um, as far as engines were concerned, and um, arrived on scene, immediately met up with command. Uh, they tasked me with uh, uh, doing a search inside that makeshift bedroom, um, which which didn't help because of the fact that um, the police uh, vented the window prior to arrival, so it was starting to pull some of that smoke and stuff in there. Um, at that time, the ticks, I don't know if you, you know the old MSA Dragon Slayers, they're like giant boat anchors. So when I got in, uh, when I got in the wind, when I bailed in there and I had the tick and I did a scan, it immediately like thermaled out to where you got the white screen of death that wasn't even coming in. So, you know, it's a big fancy door chalk at that point. And then um, I was on a left-hand search and um, heavy heat, heavy smoke, no water can at that time. And then um, started pushing in, searching, got very deep into it. It's probably about a 300 square foot garage. Um, and, you know, call back because I'm like, hey, look, this is a big area. I need to get me another guy in here to at least get on the right hand side. I'm going down the left side, you know, and started clearing that. And then I heard him bailing the window and he's yelling at me. I'm like, hey, stick to the right. You know, there's a baby somewhere in here. It's in a crib. And, you know, I'm on left hand search. So my partner actually ended up uh, searching right. And he's like, I can't remember exact words, like he found a crib or, or something. And then uh, he's like, I got a baby. And I'm like, okay. So I just immediately uh, beat feet uh, back down my wall, located the window, and then called him to the window so he could just directly come to the window. And then uh, as soon as he got there, I got out of his way. He handed it off to uh, one of the officers. And um, just, that was like a Jesus. I'm actually getting goosebumps right now talking about this. But um, it's like a, it's like a God thing because of the fact that like that kid had no adverse effects from that fire. I mean, it was so hot in there, and I mean the smoke was, you know, it was down to the floor and just black, you know, just heavy, dense smoke, you know, not even moving at all, but just just totally charged in the heat from the being in there. It was uh, it was pretty intense. I mean, 
and that I was a filling officer at that time. So I mean, just doing the you know good teamwork, and then the 81 year old, uh, she was in a back bedroom uh, overcome. Actually, they made two saves out of that. Uh, they drove her. They ended up dragging her out from the back room after knocking down the fire. They went to go push into the fire room, and they were like, "He's our, um, you know, me and the other guy were already in that room." So they're like, "Okay." So they, uh, it was one lady unaccounted for, and they found her in the back room, which was like a, a living room, I believe, like in a recliner, and they drug her out and um, brought her around with O2. So, so it was a busy night, really. Yeah, that's darn impressive. So just circling back a little bit, did you guys know on dispatch that there was reports of two people still inside this structure? Yeah, yeah, they did give us that much. When you, and then, when you, and then, in hindsight, um, you know, just from the command side, um, if those guys would have said, hey, look, like just a little bit more on the interview because they had people outside that said there's definitely a baby in that room. So like, hey, look, you know, how far in the structure in this room, in this window, is that crib in? On what side of the room is that crib in? Which would have made it a lot easier in hindsight, you know, just getting that tactical side look where you, maybe you can't make entry, but you can gather some information for the search teams that like, if you've got a witness sitting there going, okay, this is the room, you know, that's, that's the window. Okay. How far in that window and which side of the room is it, you know, and, and that's, you know, that's just really good information. I mean, in hindsight, looking at that, you know, when they tell you to search something, you go in there and you trash a room, you know, and you're searching every little nook and cranny. But if somebody says, Hey, look, that crib is 15 feet and the mom, you know, is outside. She knows exactly where her baby is. You know what I mean? Hey, she's 15 inside the window, you know, on the right side or this side of the room, da 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 da, da you know, and then just boom, making a break right for that. Um, so that's a really good point about trying to get some layout information uh, from anybody on scene. So, first arriving engine, um, were they attack? Were they search? How about the second? You said you were third and you were tasked with search. Do you know what everybody else was tasked with there? Yeah. Um, first two was, uh, attack slash they were going to search off the line because yep. initially, and then, uh, second do, um, cause they had the, with the, the volume of fire, they went ahead and hooked up uh water supply and laid in on the way in. And then I came in, um, I always try to come in a different way. I, I try to look at the map and say, okay, I know everybody's coming in this way. I'm going to come in a different way. So when we pull up, we're like meeting bumper to bumper on the call type of thing I've done in mutual aid, you know, where everybody's stacked 20 deep and you're, you go, you square the block, so to speak, and you're coming in your first two engines right there and you're, you're pulling right up to his bumper and you jump off and go do some work while everybody's still walking up from the, uh, you know, from Pluto parking out there in Disneyland, wherever it is, you know, way out in the middle of nowhere. So, um, let's see. And then a uh, truck company arrived and then they started assisting, you know, searching the, uh, and ventilation. So, didn't really cut any holes in the roof. They got a quick knock on it because it was just a really, it was like a, it's almost like a modified hallway that led out to an exterior door in that laundry room because it was a buffer. I think it was about 10 feet between the wall that they created and the, uh, the wall where the uh, washer and dryer was. So they had two doors, one going interior and one going exterior and the one going into the bedroom. It was kind of like a small little hallway in there, like laundry room area. And that's where the fire was lit. So. Okay. Uh, Another couple questions for you. Um, do you know about what the square footage was of this building? I'd probably say probably about, um, well, with the converted garage, you're probably talking probably about 1,400 square feet. Okay. And then, 
Did you make entrance through the Alpha side front door or did you go in through a window? I went in through a window that the cops had been. I just bailed. I finished cleaning that out and then bailed in. Okay. That's what I kind of thought. I just wasn't a hundred percent sure. Yep. Um, how about the, the elderly lady, the 81 year old, do you know how large she was and how they removed her? Like how they physically um, removed her? Did they do? A yeah, they ended up, they ended up dragging her, you know, like keeping it low and then just kind of dragging her out because of the smoke. Mm-hmm. But, you know, nothing like nothing extreme, like crawling a dragon, but just doing like a uh, modified rescue drag. Um, and then, so I'm assuming this is like a normal crib where you're probably the, 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 the child is probably two and a half ish feet off the ground. Does that sound about right to you? Yeah. Uh, for nine month, nine month old, maybe a little higher, you know, because the fact is as, as the, uh, the younger ones, as they get taller, you know, they, they have to be in the cage. <laughs> Right. But, but yeah, I'd say that's probably a fair assessment. I yeah, just remember it being so hot, though, it was like crazy, you know, even with the gear on, you know, how anything could survive through this. So that was giving me some goosebumps as well. Life can, can be absolutely resilient. Yeah. And you just, you just never know, you know, you just never know. So you mentioned in this one that there was reports of victims before you guys actually got to work. What, if yeah. anything, changes with you and your department when you guys hear reports of victims? Um, definitely, you know, you're going to be um, jumping off the rig. I mean, you're, you're always ready to go. Um, for me, when I hear victims, you know, depending on what role I'm playing, um, if I hear victims, it's not like we're sizing this up, looking for stuff. I'm probably going to be masked up coming off. And um, where typically I don't like to get tunnel vision. Um, for me, it's tunnel vision because um, I want to look and hear and see stuff and not through my lens. My lens, you know, I can mask up while I'm doing a 360, you know, coming around the other side of it if, if everything looks clear type of thing. But I want to hear what's going on, you know, um, if I'm in a size up role too, first person being on scene um, in that retrospect. What's one lesson that you guys or that you personally learned from this fire that you want to pass on to our listeners if you have one? Um, don't don't wait to learn how to search thoroughly. Um, at this time, you know, back in, in 2005, there really wasn't a lot of conferences. And I think guys are um, really blessed to where, yeah, we're not having a lot of fires, but there's a lot of resources out there. And a lot of people you can talk to that doesn't cost you anything or, or podcasts and, and better yourself and, and be able to focus on your skills and masking up time. I mean, there's, you know, big arguments about masking up with gloves, not masking up with gloves. I'm, I'm a little old school. I don't like masking up with gloves because it's like when I'm doing stuff, I want to manipulate with my hands to where I get an environment then I can't touch stuff with my fingers, you know, type of thing. Um, if I can't get my gloves and my mask on fast, I shouldn't be doing this job regardless. Um, and then, uh, use what you got and then get attached to somebody that is passionate and don't listen to these people that are just like, you know, these guys that think they're going to get better by talking about it type of thing and not, and not doing that muscle memory, um, fitness and practice. I mean, even, even in my role as a battalion, I, I still train with the guys, I want to be that connection. I still make conferences. I try to learn a lot from the, the resources at my disposal. Um, you know, and you can't be at the end of the day, you can't be afraid to, to, to lay a line on the ground. I mean, I made a, a few judgment calls, not search related, but you know, big fire related to where, if, you know, 
we wouldn't have put the hose on the ground or, or put things into play that, you know, wouldn't have been, wouldn't have the successful outcome that we had. So, you know, and the time to do it is not like when it's on scene, you, you know, you prep, um, you prep yourself for that day. And um, I was telling some of the newer rookies, I'm like, go all M and M on them. And I said, you got one opportunity. You know what I mean? Yeah. You got one shot, one opportunity, set yourself up for success. And I says, and make it stupid proof. Don't make it technical. Set your gear up. How you're going to remember how to do it to where you can't screw it up. And then like, and it goes from everything from laying out your gear to checking your stuff. Even as a DC, I do a mass check every morning because I don't know if I'm going to be safety. I don't know if I'm going to get there on scene first. If I get, I tell my guys, if I get there on scene first and there's a rescue you made, I'm looking around, there's nobody coming. You better come looking for me because I'm going to be in the window. So, you know, and, and so the race is on, so to speak, but you know, you just can't be, you can't be um, lackadaisical because, you know, these opportunities present themselves. And if you're not ready, you know, your weaknesses are going to show and, you know, we get paid to do a job. So we should do it to the best of our abilities. Well says a lot of wisdom right there. I think with that, we'll kind of wrap up. Um, and so thank you so much for sharing your experience with us, Chief Blanchard. We really appreciate your time. Um, well, I'm about the fireworks. <laughs> right. Tell the guys, tell the guys well done. I'm proud yeah. of that. Oh gosh. To all our listeners, if you or anyone else you know makes a grab, please go to firefighterrescuesurvey.com and fill out a quick survey. That's one survey per rescue so we can get smarter, better, and faster. And if you make a grab and want to share your experience with all of our listeners, please reach out to either Grant Schwalbe, Justin McWilliams, or myself, Nick Ledeen, and we'll try to record an episode. Thank you again so much, Chief, and everyone else who's listening to this. Take care, everybody. All right, brother.